Hello, Pastor Steve Waldron. We are so thankful you're with us on this episode of Biblical Archaeology today. And we're going to look today at selected artifacts significant to biblical chronology. I'm getting this from Wikipedia, so it's just fascinating. So let's jump right in. We're so glad you're with us today. And the first is the autobiography of Winnie, not Winnie the Pooh, but W-E-N-I, in the Cairo Museum. It was discovered in 1880 at Ibados, and it dates from about 2280 B.C. And its writing is in Egyptian hieroglyphics, and it records the earliest known Egyptian military campaigns in Sinai and the Levant, which is a basically from Greece to Egypt, but also includes the um, Holy Land. Next, we come to the Sebek Kustil in the Manchester Museum. It was found in 1901 at Abydos, and it dates to around 1860 BC, and it's written also in Egyptian hieroglyphs. They trace the lineage of Hebrew and Paleo-Hebrew back to hieroglyphics, records the earliest known Egyptian military campaign in Retjinu, including Sikhmen, thought to be Shechem. So this would be the time from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that era. Next is the statue of Idrimi. It's found in the British Museum. Lord willing, we've got a series on biblical artifacts in the British Museum, coming primarily from Peter Masters and a couple of books he's written on that. And it was found in 1939 at Alok, and it also dates from about 1500 BC, and it's in Akkadian cuneiform, and it records the earliest certain reference cuneiform reference to the land of Canaan. And this would be right before the uh, Exodus. So that's obviously very significant. And then the Merneptasteel, done a podcast or two episode on that over the course of time. It was found in 1896 at Thebes. It's currently in the Cairo or Cairo Museum. Cairo is here in South Georgia, the syrup makers. And it is circa 1209 BC. And it's in Egyptian hieroglyphs. And while alternative translations have been put forward, the majority of biblical archaeologists translate a set of hieroglyphs on line 27 as... Israel, such that it represents the first documented instance of the name Israel in the historical record and the only record in ancient Egypt. That'd be a couple centuries or so after the Exodus and the Conquest. And then the Bubastite portal, and it is in Karnak, 1828 was its discovery, and it details something from around 925 BC. That's the about the same time as the famous Gezer calendar, the earliest uh, Paleo-Hebrew, at least for a long time it was. I think they found earlier since. And this is in Egyptian hieroglyphics, and it records the conquest and military campaigns 
925 B.C. of Shoshink. Not the Shoshink Redemption, but Biblical Shishak and or Shishak. One of the 22nd dynasty identified with the Biblical Shishak. Towns identified include Rafa, Megiddo, and Ajalon. Megiddo like Armageddon. And then uh, the very famous Misha steel or Stele. It's in the Louvre. And it was discovered 1868 by Bon Jordan. We've done an episode or two of this in times past as well. 850 BC is its date. The Moabite language describes the victories of the Moabite king Misha. And you've read about him in scripture, very possibly. Over the house, Misha had victories over the house of Omri, the kingdom of Israel. It bears the earliest certain extra-biblical reference to the Israelite God, Yahweh. And French biblical scholar André Lemaire's reconstruction of a portion of line 31 is correct. The earliest mention of the house of David, i.e. the kingdom of Judah, one of only two known artifacts containing the Moabite dialect of Canaanite languages. The second is the El Karek inscription. And then the very significant uh, Kirk monoliths in the British Museum. This was found in Uktepe Bismal, 1861. 850 BC is its date, and it's in Assyrian cuneiform. And the Shalmaneser III monolith contains a description of the Battle of Karkar at the end. This description contains the name Ahabu Sir Leia which is generally accepted to be a reference to Ahab, king of Israel, although it is the only known reference to the term Israel in Assyrian and Babylonian records, a fact brought up by some scholars who dispute the proposed translation, but it more than likely, high probability, it does. So Ahab. And then the black obelisk of Shalmaneser III in the British Museum. This was discovered in, you know, when they first started getting biblical archaeology, 1846, at Nimrud. Yep, remind you of Nimrod. And it dates from 825 BC, and it's in Assyrian cuneiform. Contains what is thought to be the earliest known picture of a biblical figure, possibly Jehu, son of Omri. And that is La Ua Mar Hum Rara, or Jehu's ambassador kneeling at the feet of Shalmaneser III. And then the Sabaya steel is in the Istanbul Archaeology Museum. It was found in 1905 at Sabaya, and it dates from 800 BC. It's in Assyrian cuneiform. And it record Adad Narari III's Assyrian campaign to Palastu. Philistia reminds you a lot of Palestine. That's right. And then the Tel Dan stele. Many people consider this the most significant archaeological find of all time. And there's a reason why. It's in the Israel Museum. I've seen a reproduction of it. And uh, it was found in 1993, Tel Dan, 800 B.C. is its date. It's in Old Aramaic. And its significance for the biblical version of Israel's past, particularly in lines 8 and 9, which mention a king of Israel and a house of David. 
The latter is generally understood by scholars to refer to the ruling dynasty of Judah. Today, it's generally accepted as a reference to the Davidic dynasty because they had always said, well, there's no mention of David in history and all this, and now they found it. And then the Nimrud slab, and it was found in 1854, Nimrud, 800 B.C., Akkadian cuneiform, and it describes Adad Nirari III's early Assyrian conquest in Palestine, Philistia, Palestine, also Tyre, Sidon, Edom, and Humri, the latter understood as the kingdom of Israel, Samaria. Now we come to the Nimrud tablet in the British Museum. It was found in 1850, the city of Nimrud, and it dates from 733 BC. It's in Akkadian cuneiform, and it describes Tiglath-Pileser III of he of biblical fame, 745 to 727 BC campaigns to the region, including the first known archaeological reference to Judah, seen as Judea or Kur Ayaudaya. So one more, and then we're going to have to finish the rest at another time, and that is the Sargon II's Prism A in the British Museum, so much archaeology in the British Museum. 1850 was the discovery, the library of Asher Banepal. Done a couple podcasts on that, I think. 710 BC is the date, Akkadian cuneiform, and described Sargon II, 722 to 705 BC campaigns to Palestine. There it is again, Judah, Edom, and Moab. This would be the time of Isaiah and Hezekiah. So we want to say thank you so much for listening. And all these serve to prove the validity and the veracity of Holy Scripture. The Bible's 100% true. We invite you to listen every day. Join us and listen to our playlist. Please subscribe, share with your friends, pray for us. That's what we need the most. We want everybody to know the Word of God is absolutely true. So God bless you. Talk with you later in Jesus' name. Hello, Pastor Steve Waldron with Biblical Archaeology Today. We're so thankful you're here with us. We're looking at some significant biblical finds. and This is a part two. Yesterday we went over Sargon II's prism and the Nimrud tablet and the Nimrud slab and the Tel Dan Steely, among many others. Today we're starting with one of the more famous uh, artifacts in biblical archaeology, and that is the Siloam inscription. And it was found in 1880 in the Siloam Tunnel written in Paleo-Hebrew. It dates from 701 B.C., and this was built by Hezekiah very clearly and mentioned in Scripture, one of the greatest confirmations of Holy Scripture anywhere. Next is the Lachish relief, and kind of a lot of things from Lachish, like the Lachish letters and these type things. This was discovered in 1845 in Nineveh, and it dates from 700 B.C. It's in Assyrian cuneiform or cuneiform. 
and it's a portion of the Sennacherib leaf which depicts captives from Judah being led into captivity after the siege of Lachish in 701 BC. So there you have uh, Judean captives actually on the relief. It's pretty amazing. I'm sitting here looking at it, as a matter of fact. Then the LMLK seals. I've done a episode on this a few months ago. Those are royal seals. There's various. Beginning in 1870 and onwards, dating from 700 B.C., this is from the Phoenician alphabet, also known as Paleo-Hebrew, and there may be slight differences between Paleo-Hebrew and the Phoenician alphabet. 2,000 stamp impressions translated as belonging to the king. Why that's significant is because minimalist scholars would say that there was a tribe of a few families in Greece in the 300s that created the Old Testament to give themselves a history. This shows, among many other, that there was, in fact, a kingdom in the Holy Land during that time period, 700 B.C., 8th century. Next comes the Azika inscription, the significant biblical archaeology finds in the British Museum, as so many of them are, found in 1850 at the Library of Ashurbanipal, and 700 B.C., a lot from 700 B.C., it's in Akkadian cuneiform, kind of came after Sumerian and Babylonian, describes an Assyrian campaign by Sennacherib against Hezekiah, king of Judah, including the conquest of Azekah. So that's kind of cool. I mean, you have that happening in history, such as that's when the 185,000 died, such and such. Isaiah records it. Chapters, I think, 37, 38, and then also in Kings. And now you have just history showing that that's exactly how it happened. Then Sennacherib's Annals, British Museum, Oriental Institute of Chicago, and the Israel Museum all contain this. 1830, likely Nineveh, but unprovenanced. That means they really don't have a history for it. 690 BC, it's in Assyrian cuneiform, describes the Assyrian king Sennacherib's siege of Jerusalem in 701 BC during the reign of King Hezekiah. See, just so fascinating to me, all the proofs of scripture. Then S.R. Haddon's treaty with Baal of Tyre in the British Museum, it dates from 1850, Library of Ashurbanipal. One thing, too, I want you to notice is how many of these phenomenally significant Finds are from the 19th century, even the middle part of the 19th century. 675 BC, Akkadian cuneiform, describes a treaty between S.R. Haddon, who reigned from 681 to 669 BC, and Baal of Tyre with respect to Pilisti. Pilisti, that's Philistines or Palestine. The Ekron inscription. Israel Museum, 1996 in Ekron, dates from 650 B.C. That's one of the more recent ones. It's in the Phoenician alphabet, the first known inscription from the area ascribed to Philistines, one of the five cities of the Philistines. The cylinders of Nabonitis, they're kind of cool, like written barrels and three uh, lines kind of 
broken up into three, the British Museum and the Pergamum Museum, 1854 at Ur, and it dates from 550 BC. Cadian cuneiform describes Belshazzar as Nabonidus' eldest son. This helps explain Daniel, where it says we'll make Daniel third ruler in the kingdom. But then, you know, the handwriting on the wall just gives attestation to that. Then the Nebuchadnezzar Chronicle, and that's in the British Museum from 1896, acquired in Providence. That means, again, they don't know exactly where it came from. And it dates from 550 to 400 BC. It's in Akkadian cuneiform and describes Nebuchadnezzar's first siege of Jerusalem in 597 BC, the siege of Jerusalem. 590. And so that's incredible because there was like three different campaigns in the Holy Land. 606 wouldn't necessarily have been a sick siege, just was a capture, and then 597, then the burning of Jerusalem in 586. Some would date it 588. The Nabonidus uh, Chronicle from the British Museum, 1879, acquired from Sippar, but it's unprovenance from the 4th to the 1st century BC in Akkadian cuneiform, describes the conquest of Babylon by the Persian king Cyrus the Great, and again, that's in, what is that, Daniel 6 or something like that. The handwriting on the wall, it happened. And then the Cylinder of Cyrus looks somewhat similar, a little thinner than the Cylinders of Nabonidus. It's in the British Museum as well. 1879 in Babylon is when it was discovered, dating from 530 B.C., Akkadian cuneiform. King Cyrus's treatment of religion, which is significant, to the books of Chronicles, Ezra, and Nehemiah, showing he did exactly what is described in the Bible. That was just his custom. And also, you know, Cyrus is known as the anointed one. Isaiah 45 and 1 prophesied. Three more for this edition. The Temple Warning Inscription. This is one of the coolest ones to me. It's in the Istanbul Archaeology Museums, found in 1871 in Jerusalem. It dates from 23 B.C. to 70 A.D. It's in Greek, believed to be an inscription from Herod's temple, warning foreigners, Allogene, it says, Al yeah, Allogene, to refrain from entering the temple enclosure. I think it says those that do would be responsible for their own death. And then the place of trumpeting inscription, which I really enjoy that one as well. Israel Museum, found in 1968, first century A.D., it's written in Hebrew, believed to be a directional sign for the priest who blew a triple, excuse me, a trumpet, <laughs> consistent with an account in Josephus, the place of trumpeting inscription. And I may have done a separate podcast on that, as I have on several of these, but not all of these. The Arch of Titus, I have done one on that. It's still in its original location, in Rome, built in 82 AD, it's written in Latin. It's a relief, you know, like a carved three-dimensional or two-dimensional, anyhow, uh, relief showing spoils from the sack of Jerusalem by Titus depicted are the menorah and trumpets and as well as what might be the table of shewbread. And some may even see the Bible in there. So the Bible is just absolutely true. You may want to make a little notebook or journal of things you learn every day. It's pretty cool. We want to say thank you so much for listening. 
and God bless you. Join us again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Hello, Pastor Steve Waldron with Biblical Archaeology. Today, we are so thankful you have chosen to be with us. We're going to be looking at some other significant biblical archaeological finds. It's found on Wikipedia, a great little article. And the name of the article is List of Artifacts in Biblical Archaeology. Now, of course, you know, Wikipedia is not going to be some huge Bible-believing platform. So it is significant that many of them, they would say, are conclusive. And some of the ones that they would say are disputed are, in reality, very lightly disputed. I mean, it's very easy to dispute anything. I mean, you can come up with something that's obvious, and then somebody can come up with a different hypothesis, and then it's disputed. And so, but let's just take a look. We're going to begin at the 2000 B.C. era and go up to about 1300 B.C., so let's get started. It says creation myths and flood myths recorded on the Epic of Gilgamesh, the Atrahasis tablets, the Enuma Elish from on high, the Eridu Genesis, and the Barton Cylinder. Now I'm clicking on the Barton Cylinder because I'm not acquainted with that, and I thought I was kind of acquainted with a lot of this, but that is absolutely cool. So I'm going to put this in my reading list. So let's keep going. <laughs> the law tablets, ancient Near East legal tablets, such as the Code of Hammurabi, the Laws of Ashnuna, the Code of Ur-Namu, King of Ur from 2050 BC, the Laws of Ashuna, found, no, excuse me, 1930 BC, and the Codex Lipit Ishtar of Asin Namu, uh, excuse me, of Asin, not Namu, from 1870 BC. Later codes and have rabbis include the code of Neslim, Neselim, Hittite laws, the Assyrian laws, and Mosaic law, Ten Commandments, see cuneiform laws. So, and what this has done, guys like Peter Enns and others have said, well, there's such similarity between these laws and what's found in the Pentateuch that it was, you know, the Pentateuch is just an ancient Near Eastern document. Now, the Pentateuch itself says their laws are superior. And if you study them, there are, but there are similarities. And a lot, especially in the time of the patriarchs, a lot of the things that were going on were based in ancient Near Eastern laws, which actually tends to show the veracity of the Pentateuch, that it wasn't written 1,500 years after Abraham, because they wouldn't have known several of these things, as Bill Cooper is so apt to point out. God breathed his soul. I just found out he passed away. and He was a giant in the fields of archaeology, textual criticism, and uh, biblical science. So then you come to the execration text. I think we've done a podcast just on that, like we have Hammurabi and that. And it says, earliest references to many biblical locations. And it is absolutely amazing. The Papyrus Brooklyn 35, 1446, a document that lists the names of 45 individuals, including a Canaanite woman named Spra. Scholars assume that this is hieroglyphic transliteration 
of the Hebrew name Shifra. Yes, one of the midwives, which also appears in Exodus 1, 15 through 21. However, the document dates to 1833 to 1743 BC, century before the biblical Shifra would have lived. See, to me, that's no problem, that it's not referring possibly to the actual woman, but it shows that that name was common in Egypt at that time. It's like the Goliath. You know, there's a like a Goliath uh, fragment as well in a melodic. So, but some people are like, well, it's not referring. Well, it, it shows that it's historically accurate, whether it's that exact person or not. So to me, it's no sweat. The Ippawar papyrus is one of the most fascinating. I'm thankful it's, it's uh, put here on this list because so many people leave it out. Poem describing Egypt as afflicted by natural disasters in a state of chaos. The document, the document is dated to around 1250 BC. But the content is thought to be earlier, dated back to the Middle Kingdom, though no earlier than the late 12th dynasty. Once thought to describe the biblical exodus, now considered the world's earliest known treatise on political ethics, suggesting that the good king is one who controls unjust officials thus carrying out the will of the gods. Now, let me say this. The Epiwar Papyrus probably as well is looking back to what happened during the Exodus, maybe just several decades afterwards. Geisler and Holden do an excellent job describing that in their book on biblical archaeology, which I highly recommend everybody get. And then the last one we'll look at today, there's actually a picture of it here, is the Berlin pedestal relief considered by many modern scholars to contain the earliest historic reference to ancient Israel. Experts remain divided on this hypothesis, but let me just say it is probable. I have looked at that reasonably in depth, and there is a lot of evidence showing it is for Israel. But thank you so much for listening. Tomorrow we're going to start in the 10th century B.C., and go into some incredible finds. You don't want to miss that. Share with your friends. Share with your church family. Let them listen every day. Uh, please give us a five-star review. It would be so grateful. And subscribe. I've already mentioned share. You can also join us at YouTube and Facebook under New Life of Albany, Georgia, and newlifeofalbany.com as well. If you want to give, go to tithe.ly or there is a button at newlifeofalbany.com. God bless you. Thank you for your support. We need your prayers. We want the gospel to go around the world. Talk with you later in Jesus' name. Hello, Pastor Steve Waldrum with Biblical Archaeology Today. And we're so thankful you have joined us for this edition. We're going to be looking at the tomb of Herod the Great. He had many innocents killed, as we read in Scripture, Matthew chapter 2. But Jesus died on the cross for him, so to speak. But uh, Jesus is alive. Herod is dead. So let's look at Herod's tomb. This is so fascinating because it really confirms something. You know, Josephus is known kind of as a general historian. And what I mean by that, not just that he was a general in the Jewish army against the Romans, but 
that he kind of gives some things right, some things wrong, and will give you a general perspective, but not a specific perspective. But this lends a lot to his credibility. And so, just like his writings on James does as well. Okay, the location of Herod's tomb is documented by Josephus. I'm getting this from Wikipedia under Herod, who writes, and the body was carried 200 furlongs, a furlong's about an eighth of a mile, to Herodium. When my dad and I were there for his 80th birthday, we stayed in South Jerusalem, and we had a view out our window of the Herodium. It was pretty cool where he had given order to be buried. Professor Ehud Netzer, an archaeologist from the Hebrew University, read the writings of Josephus, Flavius Josephus, and foco focused his search on the vicinity of the pool and its surroundings. An article in the New York Times states, Lower Herodium consists of the remains of a large palace, a racetrack, service quarters, and a monumental building whose function is still a mystery. Perhaps, says Ehud Netzer, who excavated the site, it is Herod's mausoleum. Next to it is a pool almost twice as large as modern Olympic-sized pools, and that's cool. Now, you have to remember, kind of rumor has it, not totally sure if there's a lot of histor historical record to back this up, but it was said at the time that he had gathered all of the wealthy families of his realm and taken them to... Uh, palaces and commanded them, and when I say palace, I mean like stadiums and things like this, to be killed when he died, so there would be mourning at his death, because he was a pretty wicked guy. I've read some histories of Herod, but, you know, you can get you like a New Unger's Bible Dictionary and read about him, or Nelson's Bible Dictionary, or something like that, a Zondervan Pictorial Encyclopedia, they all have good articles on him. But, I mean, he was just a cruel guy, willing to kill the innocents, you know, the slaughter of the innocents type things. Okay, it took nearly, back in Wikipedia, 35 years. It took 35 years for Netzer to identify the exact location. But on May 7, 2007, an Israeli team of archaeologists of Hebrew University, led by Netzer, announced they had discovered the tomb. The site is located the exact location given by Josephus, atop tunnels and water pools, at a flattened desert site halfway up the hill to Herodium, 12 kilometers, 7.5 miles south of Jerusalem. The tomb contained a broken sarcophagus, but no remains of a body. But notice the uh, exact location. I think that is just amazing. I'm sitting here reading as well about opinions of his reign, Macrobius writing in 400 AD in his book Saturnalia said this about Herod. When it was heard that as part of the slaughter of boys up to two years old, Herod, king of the Jews, had ordered his own son to be killed, he, the emperor Augustus, remarked it's better to be Herod's pig than his son because Herod as a Jew would not kill pigs, but he had three of his sons and many others killed. So not a great guy, but he is known as Herod the Great. And some of the other Herods mentioned in Scripture, like it, with Jesus and then in Acts 12, are not Herod the Great. And then uh, Herod in, uh, what is it, Acts 24, 25, uh, different Herods, all the same lineage, so to speak. So God bless you. Thank you for listening. This just shows per further proof that the Bible is a book of history. It is a true book. 
But it's true in its history and its geography. It's true of its claims, miracle claims, and Jesus' resurrection as well. It really buttresses those claims. Most people are just ignorant of these things. You might want to make a little journal of things you learn every day, notebook, and uh, you'll have a power-packed apologetics library. And I just want to say thank you again for listening. Please subscribe, share, join us every day, and uh, again, share with your friends and family. And we will talk with you later. God bless you. Bye-bye. Hello, Pastor Steve Waldron. Hope you're having a great day in Jesus. We're going to look today at the archaeological remnants of the Solomon's Temple. We're getting this off Wikipedia, but it's got a fairly complete listing for evidence of Solomon's Temple. So, Let's get started. Thanks again for listening, joining us. Join us every day and invite your friends and family to as well. So the first temple is customarily used to describe the temple of the biblical period, which was destroyed by Babylonian conquest. It was built by King Solomon, constructed with its holiest of holies, centered on a stone hilltop known now known as the Foundation Stone, which had been traditional focus of worship in Jerusalem. So we're going to just look at this, um, the different evidences and archaeological finds from Solomon's Temple. So an ostracon excavated prior to 1981, ostracon, just a piece of pottery with writing on it, referred to as the House of Yahweh Ostracon, was discovered at Tel Arad dating to the 6th century B.C., which mentions a temple, probably the temple at Jerusalem. Fantastic there. Next, a thumb-sized ivory pomegranate, which came to light in 1979, measuring 1.7 inches in height and bearing an ancient Hebrew inscription, sacred donation for the priest of the house of Yahweh, was believed to adorn a scepter used by the high priest in Solomon's temple. It was considered the most important item of biblical antiquities in the Israeli museum. Um, the pomegranate is dated to the 14th or 13th century BC, but some say that it is a forgery, so we need to be aware of that. Another artifact, the Jehoahash inscription, came to notice in 2003, contains a 15-line description of King Jehoash's 9th century B.C. restoration of the, of the temple. Herschel Shanks of Biblical Archaeology Today, or Biblical Archaeology Review Bar, I think, this is Biblical Archaeology Today, um, <laughs> believes that it is, in fact, genuine because we ha rely on experts and because there is apparently irresolvable conflict of experts in this case, Barr has taken no position with respect to the authenticity of the Joash inscription, though he personally believes it. In 2006, the Temple Mount Sifting Project had recovered numerous artifacts from the 8th and 7th century B.C. And so these include stone weights for weighing silver, in the first temple period, Bula, or seal impression, containing ancient Hebrew writing, which includes the name Netanyahu ben Yahush. Netanyahu is a name mentioned several times in the book of Jeremiah, while the name Yahush appears in the Lachish letters. 
In 2007, my sister, by the way, found a piece of Herod's temple's mosaic dating from 38 AD when we did some sifting there. 2007, artifacts dating to an 8th to 6th century BC were described as being possibly the first physical evidence of human activity at the Temple Mount during the first temple period. The findings included animal bones, ceramic bowl rims, bases, and body shards and the base of a juglet used to pour oil, the handle of a small juglet, the rim of a storage jar. And some would say that even parts of his the stones have been found as well, as well as the well of souls where the holiest of holies and the ark would probably be. Randall Price has done some great stuff on the archaeology in Jerusalem. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Join us every day. Amen. Again, share with your friends, family. Leave us a five-star review. Really helps us. And subscribe. Join us over at Facebook, YouTube, and our new life of Albany, Georgia. Continue to ask God to bless the ministry. Talk with you later in Jesus' name.